0: You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! The prime Change with no regard
1: for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen,
0: and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, thanks for finding us. This is Aaron Fishman. Lauren is here. Hey. Joshua's here. Yo. I'm here too. Your three hosts will be talking with one another on this edition of the show. What a novel concept, I know. In a few days, we'll be releasing a brand new Phoenix Suns episode. But first, we have some other topics to get to. This Monday, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver issued a memo to the league's Board of Governors. In it, he described various teams' increasingly used strategy of resting particular starters as an extremely significant issue for our league, and he also implored owners to be more involved in the decision making process. A couple of Saturdays before that, there was a Warriors Spurs game nationally televised in which three Warrior All-Stars were rested. Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge also didn't play. Then the following Saturday in Los Angeles against the Clippers, LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving all didn't play. LeBron James was a healthy scratch. LeBron, who's been a lot more outspoken this season, felt targeted by Silver's memo since it came two days after he was rested against the Clippers. Just starting out the conversation, Lauren, how do you feel about LeBron's response and feeling targeted and just the issue more broadly?
1: Well, I think LeBron has a point in that, obviously, he's one of the biggest names in the NBA, and it makes a difference if he's the person drawing people to the games. It's a bigger difference when he sits than when someone else sits for rest or other issues. Regarding the issue more broadly, I think there are good points on both sides of the topic. I see where Adam Silver is coming from, where it's harmful to the growth of a league and it's a little bit unfair to the fans who've paid good money to see these players play, especially in road games. If they might only have one chance per year to see a certain player play and during that game they're sitting, they might feel shafted or feel like they're not getting their money's worth and it might harm their enjoyment of the league. For national TV deals, it could impact future deals that the NBA is getting if we expect these March games to be going this way. I know you mentioned that it happened on two straight national TV Saturdays. So that's something to pay attention to. On the other hand, we know from sports science and we know from what Greg Popovich has been doing for Much of his career that getting a certain minimum amount of rest really helps prevent injury. It drastically reduces the chance of overwork and injuries related to that and improves teams chances in the postseason and also lengthens players careers. We saw it work with Tim Duncan, uh, Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili. I don't think their later years would have been nearly as productive if Greg Popovich hadn't employed that strategy. So there are points on both sides of the issue. I see where everyone's coming from. And I think it's something that the league as a whole and the teams have to take a look at different methods of how to solve it, whether it means structuring the schedule differently, reducing the amount of games or trying to put marquee games on, especially such that they would come after a certain amount of rest and not on back to backs.
0: Yeah, this is a complicated issue, but I think the bottom line is, like Lauren said, injuries need to be prevented. There have never been more injuries in the league as there are now. Players are bigger and stronger than they've ever been, and these guys are playing huge minutes, especially the Stars, so they need to be rested, and I think that's the most important thing. I am sympathetic to the fans who paid good money to see these players in person, but It's not about them. I think the most important thing is that the players are healthy and um, that a devastating injury is less likely to afflict them.
1: I sort of disagree that it's not about the fans because at the end of the day, the NBA is mainly just for entertainment of fans, right? Like, what else do we have the league for? So, I mean, that's the only issue I take with your point, but everything else, yeah.
0: I think it. um, I agree with you that, that the main purpose of having the league is for entertainment. But having key players or players who've been playing a lot of minutes miss a game here and there, I don't think that affects the fans that much. And overall, I think it's better for them because the players right. are more likely to be available and not injured for when it really is interesting, which is the playoffs. Yeah. And um, like Greg Popovich said, strategic resting over time adds years to players' careers. Well, I think my wording was was off, but I think it's better for everyone in the long run if players are, are able to be rested. I completely agree. I think if we took that sentence out of context, it's not about the fans. We'd all agree that's not the case. But in the long term, the fans benefit by seeing these teams at their best in the postseason. LeBron James, just a legend. He's like Kobe Bryant in terms of how much mileage he's logged Finals for six straight seasons. So there's a lot of reason for him to be rested. And with the increasing information and reliance on experts, medical physicians, on rest, there's a lot of information that these teams have at their fingertips that they didn't before. I think also why this controversy has been so talked about and um, so heated lately, I think, is because... Of um, certain things being conflated. So, take the Warriors Spurs game, for instance. Aldridge and Leonard were both injured. So, those guys made the game seem more devoid of stars and also Kevin Durant. So, already three stars are not playing as it is. So, and then three starters, all all stars, were rested. And so I can understand how fans would feel cheated not being able to see them at that game. But already three of the six guys wouldn't have played anyway. So now when you have six guys who are just amazing, fun to watch, not playing, that gets people even more pissed off and annoyed. And then the thing about the Clippers and Cavaliers, obviously I understand Silver's point about how it's a business And that's how they make money, is the fans. The Cavaliers only visit the Clippers once as they're in different conferences all season. And then LeBron James, Irving, and Love ended up playing the next day against the Lakers. So that was a scheduling quirk, and I think it made sense in the team's best interest to rest those guys. But definitely disappointing if you paid a lot of money for courtside or or nice tickets to see LeBron James at that Clippers game. And then you find out that day or the day before that he's not going to play. But for the long run, for the overall health, taking care of these players and making sure that the fans get a better product when it comes down to playoff time, I think that's the goal. And what are these players getting judged on? Rings.
1: Yeah, I agree with you what you said. And that's why I think the change has to be made at the scheduling level. And I know designing the NBA schedule is one of the hardest jobs in the league, making everyone's travel lineup and making sure everything's balanced. But if you don't have situations where you're flying cross-country and then playing back-to-back games against marquee teams or four games in five nights, then... You won't run into these issues where teams are resting a lot of their guys because teams do this because of necessity, because of the scientists on their teams or their medical professionals tell them that you're increasing your chance of injury by such and such percent if you play in this game. So if you just eliminate those situations from the schedule, I know easier said than done. Um, the NBA is already making strides to do that by shortening the preseason. And moving up the start date of the season and moving pushing back the end date of the season so it's longer in terms of dates, but not in terms of games, that helps by building in more rest games naturally. So I just think more steps need to be made in that direction. Because if you build in rest days like that, fans won't feel like they're getting cheated by players having to take scheduled rest days and miss games that way.
0: And Steve Kerr referenced exactly what you just talked about, Lauren, that they're already extending the season next year by 7 to 10 days. So there will be fewer reasons to rest, guys, with the schedule spaced out a little bit more. I mean, I still think it'll definitely happen. And a lot of the coaches, I think, were pretty diplomatic in their response as well they should be because, obviously, they know that if there's a mandate strict mandate or directive which hasn't been done yet but if Adam Silver were to do that they'd have no choice but to fall in line but they see the gray in this complex issue kind of like how you've both laid out where there are pros and cons for both business interest and a self-interested motive in the coaches to rest these guys also The president of the NBA Coaches Association, Dallas Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle, laid it out pretty well in saying it's not that simple. When you coach in this league for a while, you get a real feel for players and their levels of energy, their levels of wear and tear, both physically and emotionally. There are just times when you know a night of rest strategically spaced within a span of games is going to make a big difference in the long run. But... Then he goes on to talk about how it is a business and these national viewing audiences and the impression of the league really cannot be ignored because that's how they make their money and that's how they sell their product. So it was interesting to hear from these coaches, I think. Yeah, I agree with both of you that scheduling really needs to be addressed. And it's definitely very positive that next season is going to be lengthened because that will allow for players to to not need to be rested as often because there will be more rest days built into the schedule. Another interesting thing to consider when talking about resting players is whether it's different when contenders are just resting players to preserve them for the stretch run and the playoffs versus teams who are essentially resting their
1: stars to tank and get higher draft picks. What do you think about that, Lauren? Obviously, there are different situations, and I'm less in favor of teams resting guys or shutting down guys in order to preserve their draft pick because I think we should always make it the incentive in this league to try hard and put out a good product. If we're having incentives for teams to actually try to be worse, then I think that's a separate issue to be looked at. Because with contenders, resting guys, as we discussed, it's to save them for the postseason so they can continue putting out a good product later in the season for tanking teams. It's different. I don't know.
0: I think also it happens a lot more with contenders. If you look at teams like the Lakers, for instance, Luo Dang and Mozgov are going to be shut down for the rest of the year. And they're not stars. But they are healthy, and that's being done, you could argue, to get the young guys more experience, not necessarily just for the record to be worse. Luol Deng wasn't really helping the product on the floor that much. And so there's an argument to be made that Lakers are fully within their rights in resting guys like that. Now, it is their fault that they gave those two guys horrible contracts at a time when they were rebuilding. and should have been focusing their resources on younger guys and giving them more playing time. So now they're doing it in an artificial way. But we talked about this a couple of days ago. If a guy like Mozgov or Dang is only going to play 10 minutes anyway, they would prefer just not to play. Just to, just to rest, I would assume, then get way fewer minutes than they feel that they're deserving of. So I think it's complicated, and I don't necessarily fault teams like the Lakers or the Suns for resting guys the rest of the year who are healthy. I just don't know that a lot of those people would be considered stars necessarily. Eric Bledsoe, that's a little bit of a different case. To um, elaborate on Aaron's point, what he was saying about a player like Mozgov or Dang preferring not to play at all rather than play just for 10 minutes a game. What he means by that is that to prepare yourself to play an NBA game, there's so much that goes into it. And if you're told ahead of time that you're going to be shut down for the remainder of the season, it at least allows you to not have to put in all that work and you can spend time with your family or
1: prepare for the following season. So so yeah, that's interesting. We talked about this a little bit also. In our conversation with Justin Rowan, he was talking about how people were suggesting in terms of limiting LeBron James's minutes instead of having him miss entire games. What if you just have him play 20 minutes a game or something like that? And he was saying that for LeBron James to get ready for a game, he has, to, he has a whole like three hour pregame ritual or something yeah. where he does workouts. He has to get his sleep right. He has to eat at a certain time or whatever. And it's really just not worth it if he's not playing at least 30 to 35 minutes for him to spend that amount of time. And it's not really shown that limiting playing time in that way will do the same thing in terms of reducing injury because the biggest factor for injury reduction, I think, is time in between playing, not just total amount of minutes played. I
0: want to go back to
1: what Lauren was saying
0: about teams that are tanking. We don't see that as much, I think, but it should never happen. I never want to, want to see teams losing on purpose to get higher draft picks. If they're doing it to get players, prospects that they want to see more playing time, that's, that's something different. But just having healthy stars and not playing them. That's really not fair to the fans, and it's not fair to the product. We all want to see teams try to win, and we want to see the best possible players on the floor when they're not at risk doing so. I agree, and I don't think it happens. We'll talk about this on the Suns episode, but take Eric Bledsoe, for instance. He's had a a chronically injured left knee, and it's sore. So maybe they're exaggerating the extent of the soreness, but he's a young player, and you have to worry about his future so I don't believe that they're resting him so they get a worse record. I, I don't think that's the case, and we'll talk to Andrew Lynch about that, but I think that it can be controversial, the issue of tanking, and there have been um, various complaints about that, just about how you your team is at a competitive advantage if they have a higher draft pick, but I can understand why there's way more controversy and why the bulk of the commissioner's ire is directed at the contending teams resting guys just because just national eyeballs are on the Warriors, Spurs, Cavaliers, Clippers, all these teams. And so I don't think nationally... There is much concern about Eric Bledsoe sitting out the year, even though he's an exciting player. He's fun to watch. I'm sure Phoenix Suns fans aren't happy about it. But fans in other cities, I don't think that they're too disappointed, even though Bledsoe's exciting, if the Suns come into town and he's not playing, for instance. And then just to close out, not everyone is in agreement with LeBron James and the various coaches around the league that resting starters should be done. James Harden, he's a lot younger than LeBron James, and he has less mileage in his career, but he's done so much for the Rockets this season. And he just won't rest, Lauren. And he says that Mike D'Antoni knows not to ask him to rest.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's on an individual basis. Like, I don't think James Harden has had any real history of injury. So I'm more fine with him not taking games off. But then you see a lot of these former players coming out to say, like, you know, back in my day, this is not how we would have done things and stuff. But at the same time, you look at the careers of guys like Larry Bird, and you wonder how how that could have went differently if he had some built-in rest days. He LeBron James already has more career minutes played than Bird, I believe. A guy like Chris Webber, who came out in favor of resting, if his body didn't get betrayed by injuries, like how that would have changed the Kings franchise if he was able to stay healthy. So again, there are arguments
0: on both sides. We're, we're comparing different eras too, and that's always such a tricky thing to do. One of the guys, you didn't say mention him by name, but Karl Malone was one of the retired players who issued a, I would say, kind of grumpy quote, where he said, if you don't have at least 10 years experience, get your ass playing. It's not work. It's called playing. And he went on to compare NBA players to service members, policemen, and first responders, which I thought kind of wasn't the point of this debate. (laughs) No one is arguing that teachers and policemen and first responders shouldn't be paid more or that they don't work hard. But anyway, so I think that was a distraction. But we see this in a number of leagues, and the NBA is certainly no exception. Karl Malone, number two on the all time scoring list. He was great in his day, but things were done differently. And what he's used to in that standard doesn't apply now. Just point blank. Technology has changed, the circumstances are different. So he has a right to his opinion. I just don't think it's a well informed one. Yeah, the game done changed. Anything that Carl Malone has to say about his era um, I'd be happy to listen to but I don't think he should be making these statements about today it's such a different league and it doesn't even make sense to say that these players should be playing because the players aren't begging out of the game none of these players are saying I don't want to play it's the, the coaches it's the management who's resting them Maybe his argument is that, well, if you're a player and the coach tells you you're going to rest, you should be more vocal about it. And that is a reasonable argument, but I think the players like playing. I I think it's reasonable, but I just don't agree with it. So like, for instance, James Harden, if if Mike D'Antoni and medical personnel want him to rest, but he has a convincing argument, he can point to his level of production not waning, and him not hurting the team, I think that they should consider listening to him. Obviously, I think coaches and management should have the ultimate say in whether or not a star like James Harden rests or plays. But I think James Harden has a right to advocate on his behalf, not to arrest him. Yeah, he definitely should be able to advocate for himself. But I would trust trainers. I would give their opinions the most weight in in a debate like that. Yeah, and that's, I think, one thing that people don't like about the memo that Adam Silver issued, where he wants owners to become more vocal about this and have a bigger say in decision-making. LeBron James had a quote about this, and he has a very good point. Some owners are basically the anti Vivek Ronadiva, where they're very hands-off and they haven't been around the team facilities in months, or they just call people over the phone. And I'm not saying most owners are like that, but obviously the head coach, the assistants, the training staff, medical personnel, and the GM have way more and a way better understanding of the players, their level of fatigue, their production levels. Some of these owners are just business people that are hands-off. So that's kind of a black and white statement that I don't think Silver meant to say, or maybe he means it, but I I don't think that that's the right approach to have owners have a bigger say. I think if the commissioner's office makes a decision and, figures out a way to enforce it these things are so hard to enforce then that would make way more sense but i don't like the idea of the owners having a bigger say so we'll end it there there's a lot that can be discussed and debated but i think we had a pretty good substantive discussion about that we'll be right back to talk about it a little bit more The second segment is going to be on LeVar Ball, the father of potential first overall pick, UCLA freshman Lonzo Ball, who has recently made comments about current and past NBA stars comparing his son to them and his son's earning potential. Lauren, what do you think about LeVar Ball?
1: I think he's really entertaining, to be honest. I think anytime he appears on any of those shows like First Take where he's being interviewed and gives his outlandish statements they're ripe first down bites you have to tune in and for the people who say like he's detrimental to his son's future in the league I don't buy that I think Lonzo Ball he looks like he has a good head on his shoulders he's leading UCLA really well and as you said he has the potential definitely to be a number one pick I don't agree probably with LeVar Ball's assessment that he's already better than any player in the NBA, but he looks like he could be a really good NBA player. And LaMelo Ball, too, looks like he could be good, too. Yeah,
0: I like this because we're going to be disagreeing more on this one. I think Lavar Ball is the typical stage parent, and he's putting so much unnecessary pressure on not just Lonzo Ball, but his two younger brothers By talking about those three guys potentially getting a billion dollar deal. And I don't think that he's doing his sons any service, certainly. And I think he's making things more difficult for them. Now, where I agree with Lauren, ultimately it will come down to how those guys, his sons, produce on the court. And teams aren't going to shy away from him because of the boasting he's doing about their earning potential or how he used to destroy Michael Jordan and pick up games or all the other ridiculous stuff he's said. And he is highly entertaining. So that's good for the fan. That's good for the typical viewer. He's also annoying to me. And I don't even think he believes a lot of his own hype, but it's definitely something to pay attention to. So yeah, I'm glad we disagreed there though a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you in that. I also think he's like not being serious with most of the stuff he's saying, like, I don't think he really truly believes that he as like a bench player in D1 when he was there could have taken Michael Jordan one-on-one in his day and like, just didn't get a shot. I think he's being boastful. He's, he's saying these things because he knows that they'll lead to more national TV appearances for himself, more coverage of his three sons and he's building his their brand that way. And I think Everybody in the NBA world is talking about these three brothers right now. And in his mind, that doesn't hurt them.
0: And I think it's all free promotion for the big baller brand too. Every time you see LeVar ball on TV, he's wearing a big baller brand shirt and other gear. So you know, that definitely helps out there.
1: Yeah. As you said, everything is in service of that big baller brand. I don't think it'll be worth a billion dollars, like he says, but I think it could be a very lucrative venture for the Ball family. And finally, speaking of big Baller brands, to close out this episode, on behalf of the On the NBA Beat crew, I'd like to make a brief announcement. The three of us will be joining the team at the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, one of the largest NBA podcast networks in the world, with already 40-plus great shows and counting. You can check out that roster at almightyballer.com. Shout out to our loyal fans who have supported us in our first two seasons doing this show, especially those of you who reached out to us on Twitter, Facebook, email, or left reviews for us on podcast sites. You'll still be able to find us at all of those same places, and we hope to keep bringing you the same great content and interviews week to week that you've come to expect from us. For those of you who are listening to us for the first time, or discovered us through Almighty Baller, welcome, we're glad to have you, we hope you liked the episode, and be on the lookout for a Phoenix Suns-themed episode dropping in your feeds later this week. Thanks.